0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for VHA. I'm Emma Scott, senior workplace relations consultant, and I'm joined today by Bree Morenia, workplace relations consultant. Welcome, Bree. Thanks so much. So it's been a while since we've done a podcast, but I think you will remember the standard approach to how we start it is we've got a clue that we're sharing on screen. Can you describe it to those who are
1: listening? That's right. So the clue today is a photo of our office um, with Emma's dog, Bonnie, <laughs> sitting on the carpet, looking out the window. Um, based on that, she doesn't look like she's doing much. Um, she's not even focused on the person taking the photo so maybe we're going to talk about performance management that is not
0: correct but you are very correct she's not being a very good instagram dog not very bad performance management but she you are correct in that she is overseeing something that is outside our window and what it is is the construction site
1: does that help any more So she's doing some type of supervision? That is correct. She's making
0: making sure that the construction people are doing their work correctly while she is not doing her Instagram dog performance correctly.
1: So she's not performing, but she's supervising and you could say managing. So we're probably going to be talking about the supervision and management clause. (laughs) You got there eventually got there in the end. So um, today we'll be going through the implementation guide that we have developed for this clause, um, clause 89.
0: Yeah, that's correct. So it's a document that we developed in consultation with VARPA and also the reference group. And it's really a document to assist with the compliance for employers who might need a bit of additional support. Um, and it is on my IR and then Beaver engage. So um, what we've got is we've included like an overview and we've got it in parts in line with the agreement structure.
1: Okay, so what's in the overview?
0: Ah, uh, so for the overview, what it does is it first outlines uh, what the previous clause stated, which is that the employer will ensure all employees receive supervision by a qualified and clinically appropriate health professional. So it also has an additional statement which we've got on screen and it outlines that the clause is intended to complement rather than replace existing professional requirements for clinical supervision. These include but are not limited to where professions have specific requirements set by the relevant board of the Australian Health Practitioner Registration agency, uh, also known as ARPRA or any other relevant professional body or association, and um, professions that support graduate entry allied health intern positions that have specific requirements for clinical supervision and assessment prior to achieving achieving independent practice.
1: Okay, and the next part is titled General, which is about subclause eighty nine point one, and that outlines some general principles.
0: Yeah, correct. So it prescribes a general obligation that an employer will ensure that all employees receive clinical supervision in accordance with the requirements of the clause.
1: And those supervision requirements are different depending on the grade level or class of the particular employee?
0: Yeah, the guide takes members through those differences and what we'll do is we'll be going through them in the
1: podcast today. Right. So the general clause has provisions relating to what clinical supervision refers to as well.
0: Yeah, it does. And so we've just got that on screen. So it says clinical supervision refers to structured professional support, such as the provision of advice and feedback on clinical matters relating to an employee's profession, reflective practice, teaching and learning, both indirect and direct at point of care, and facilitation of professional
1: development. And in the guide, we also included some examples of mechanisms that employers might use to provide clinical supervision.
0: Yeah, so what we've done is we've added some examples of what commonly occurs for clinical supervision. So we've got them just shown on screen, internally or externally, Uh, for example, provided by an external provider, professional body slash association, another health service, or through a networking group. Uh, You can provide it face-to-face or online, It could be conducted individually and or in groups Uh, and then we've just got a note there that though there may be a need for individual clinical supervision, even where there is a group clinical supervision, that's kind of going to be circumstantial and or provided on a daily basis or via regularly scheduled sessions.
1: And the next part is in relation to clinical supervision arrangements for the grade level class one and two employees.
0: Yeah, so sub 89.2 outlines what is required for clinical supervision of these employees, which we've got on screen. So for employees at grade level class one and two, those employees will receive clinical supervision from an employee who is in their profession and at grade level class three or above or equivalent. And that's subject to transitional um, provisions, which include exceptions, um, which in the guide are discussed on page four and five.
1: And there's some more information in relation to how that clinical supervision can be provided as well.
0: Yeah, the agreement outlines that the clinical supervision can be provided directly by a grade three on a day-to-day basis or through a grade two employee who will provide the direct clinical supervision on a day-to-day basis in accordance with the classification descriptors at Appendix 4. Um, And what we've actually done is we've developed a flowchart to assist with visualising the concept which we've got on screen. Um, And so you can see on the left that is showing that uh, someone is getting direct supervision from a Class 2, but that Class 2 is being supported by the Grade 3. So, essentially, in that first one on the left, the Grade 3 is providing indirect supervision to the Grade 1 through the Grade 2. Or you might have an example where the Grade 3 is actually providing that direct uh, line supervision to the Grade 1, which is that example on the right.
1: Great. And the implementation of the clinical supervision arrangements were subject to transitional arrangements?
0: yeah that's correct and it really depends on what the employer's uh, circumstances as to what um should have occurred so some of the transitional arrangements have actually already ended we did send out a bulletin bulletin 2891 um, about one month ahead of time just to remind health services of that
1: and to assist employers with compliance we've outlined a decision flow chart that allows employers to more easily determine what they are to do Yeah,
0: so it's on page four. It's actually quite big, so we can't show it on screen. But what we'll do is we'll take our members through those questions.
1: So the first question is, um, if I was a health service, how do I implement clinical supervision arrangements for the grade one and two employees?
0: So once you get to that question, you also need to ask yourself another question, and that is, um, is the grade one or two employee being clinically supervised either directly or indirectly through a grade two, by grade three or above, or equivalent in their profession? So if the answer is yes, those clinical arrangements for their supervision must be maintained, and that's because you're essentially already meeting the uh, principles of the flaws.
1: Uh, What happens if the answer is no? So the next question is, uh,
0: does our health service have the resources that could ensure the Grade 1 or Grade 2 receive clinical supervision either directly or indirectly through a Grade 2 by a Grade 3 or above or equivalent in their profession? So that's centred around, do you have the resources to be able to provide that supervision? If the answer is yes, then the employer um, should have provided the employees with the clinical supervision in their profession within the six months of the commencement of agreement, which was the 18th of May, 2023. So that date is actually passed. So employers should have um, implemented that if they had the resources to do so.
1: And what happens if the answer is no, so that they don't have the resources?
0: So then what the agreement outlines is that the employer will implement such supervision when it is reasonably practicable to do so. So in the meantime, um, what they have to do is that during the time it takes the employee to allocate these resources to meet that clinical supervision requirement, the employer will ensure employees receive clinical supervision from a qualified and clinically appropriate allied health professional.
1: And allied health professional is highlighted in red text in the guide. Is there any reason for this?
0: Yeah, so there's a specific definition at subclause 89.6 that applies throughout the supervision and management clause when it says allied health professional, which we've got on screen. So allied health professional means an employee working in a profession covered by the agreement, which we have listed on page one of the guide. And obviously it's listed in the agreement itself but it also includes a dietitian, an audiologist, or a psychologist.
1: And there's also a reference to the Allied Health Professionals Research and Practice Centre, however that's titled. Yeah,
0: there is. So the centre hasn't been set up yet, but the agreement outlines that it will review, advise and assist the employers with implementing such clinical supervision, which um, might be through networks across health services.
1: And what about if a health service wanted to implement an alternative clinical supervision arrangement?
0: Yeah, so the agreement does have a process for that and it's actually centred around exceptional circumstances. So if there is one, the employer and the employee um, where they both wish to apply an alternative clinical supervision arrangement to best meet the principles of clinical supervision. So that takes us back to that previous definition. Uh, the employer will notify the union in writing with a copy of uh, to the employees or employee. The parties will meet to discuss the matter, and if they can't agree on an alternative clinical arrangement, then essentially the matter can get re- um, referred to the dispute mechanisms under the agreement. So that's the normal dispute resolution procedure or the independent um, dispute resolution panel.
1: So, what is the clinical supervision requirement for a Grade 3 employee? Uh, So, the employer will ensure that all employees Grade 3
0: are clinically supervised by an appropriately qualified and clinically appropriate allied health professional.
1: And what about Grade 4 employees?
0: So, for Grade uh, 4s, we've got that on screen again. Um, And what that is really says is that where they're performing um, clinical work, that they are clinically supervised and guided by an appropriately qualified and clinically appropriate allied health professional, or the additional one there is doctor
1: of medicine. So if the grade four and above isn't doing any clinical work, the requirements of the clause don't apply? That's correct. Okay, so there's also a note that applies to health services who employ less than 25 employees covered by the agreement. Um, for the grade three and four clinical supervision clause.
0: Yeah, that's correct. So, if a health service say has only twenty-four employees um, under the agreement, they're only required to do what's um, we've just outlined for the grade three and grade four, where it is practicable.
1: Okay, and the last part of the clause that we haven't gone over is in relation to directors or deputy directors of Allied Health.
0: Yeah, so subclause 89.5 starts off with a general statement and that's really around the employer um, recognises the importance of allied health and allied health professionals to it and its patients and the importance of having allied health professionals in senior management roles.
1: And the next element is somewhat stating the obvious, but a director or deputy director of allied health, however that position is titled, will be an allied health professional.
0: Yeah, so it's not doing um, anything more or less than um, stating what is currently the case. That's
1: right. And what about the last bit of the subclause?
0: So the last bit of the subclause just is around maintenance of director and deputy director um, positions of allied health, which we've got on screen. So it says where at commencement of the agreement, the employer has a director slash deputy director of allied health or the Victorian Government has provided funding to an employer for a Director or Deputy Director of Allied Health position, um, that the positions will be maintained during the life of the agreement.
1: Great, and that takes us to the end of the guide and Clause 89.
0: Yes, um, it does. So if anyone has any further queries, they just can send them to the email for the query team, which is query at bha.com.au.
1: Great, thanks Emma, for taking us through that information. Thank you.